Blog Talk Radio. Live from Washington, D.C., it's quintessential listening. Poetry Online Radio. Now, here's your host, Dr. Michael Anthony Ingram. Hello, everyone. This is Michael Anthony Ingram. Welcome to the program. Tonight, my very special guest is award-winning poet Nikki Grimes. Her newest book, which is truly hot off the presses, literally, is Glory in the Margins, Sunday Poems. What an exquisite title. What an exquisite book. Nikki, welcome to the program. Thank you so much. I am so glad that you're with me. Let's talk about the inspiration for the book. Tell me a little bit more about why did you write such an incredible, incredible book. Oh, one poem at a time. You know, when I was, uh, I lived in Sweden for six years, and one of the things I loved about being there is having opportunity to use art and worship in the church there. And when I contemplating coming back to the States, one of the things I wanted to find were churches that were actively using the arts beyond music. And uh, and I kept meeting people from California saying, you know, you've got to try California. There's great art stuff going on in the churches in California. And I'm like, okay, you, you've got my ear. Um, and when I first moved here, I found I got to use my poetry on holidays, you know, Christmas <laughs> and Easter. And I'm like, well, that's nice, but that's not what I had in mind. Uh, right. And then I came to uh, a, a new church where I I went to the pastor one day and I'd done the Easter thing there and the poet, you know, the Christmas thing. And I'm like, you know, I'd really like to be able to write poems to go with the sermon every week. What do you think? And he said, go for it. And I'm like, all right. And I started doing that uh, every week. And originally the congregation was a little leery you know, what is poetry? Yes. What, what's going on here? But after a while, they were so spoiled that when I started to travel doing speaking engagements and whatnot and wasn't available to do the poem, they were like, well, well, well where's the poem? <laughs> where's the oh, poem? Wow. Yeah, so I'm like, okay, this is, this is what I'm talking about. So then I started looking for poets, other poets in the congregation who I could bring alongside to do this kind of ministry. And I became the poet laureate for the church, and, you know, I've been writing these poems for years. But whenever I do them, there's always someone who asks, usually more than someone who asks for a copy. And I'm like, well, I don't really do that. But I started okay. thinking, you know, I need to do a collection. And, um, yeah, so here we are. Wow. So it was a marriage between poetry and the church, in a sense. Yes, yes, absolutely. And what it was um, is yes. I would ask the, the, the pastor for the scripture he was using and the title mm-hmm. of the sermon. That's it. We wouldn't discuss anything about his talk or the direction of it or anything. So just give me the scripture and give me the title of your sermon, 
and I'll let God talk to me, and we'll see what I come up with. So the pastor believed in you enough to say, hey, let's go with this. Mm -hmm. Let's make this happen on a weekly basis. Yes. Yeah, he was just crazy like that. (laughs) 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 It was a bit of a leap, but he took it. And and when I first started, I would do it early enough in the week so that I could show him the poem in case he had any, you know, issues or questions. Yes. And then after a while, he said, you know, you don't need to do that anymore. I trust you theologically. I can be surprised on Sunday morning like everybody else. I'm like, well, okay. Mm. Yeah. Well, tell me about the title of your book, Glory in the Margins. What does that mean? I I know I read some pieces of what that might mean, but just kind of break it down for us. Well, Jesus really liked spending time in the margins. He was always talking to people who lived in the margins. And I found that God constantly talks to us who are, you know, outside of the gate. It seems to be mm. like his favorite place to be. And in that place, no matter what difficulties and struggles and dark days we're experiencing, there are always wonderful moments of glory of blessing, of light breaking through. And so that was the idea behind this title. Well, it's beautifully stated. Let's go back for a moment and talk about the big picture. What is this thing we call poetry? Well, I think about it as mm, painting a picture or telling a story using as few words as possible. Okay. With words, that's what poetry is is about, or some of what it's about. It's it's about a lot more than that, of course. Poetry mm-hmm. is that thing that goes straight to the heart, that bypasses the mind and makes a beeline for the heart. It is the emotional center of literature. The emotional center of literature. Very nice. If you had to think about your poetry in terms of having a predominant theme, what would you say? Mm. Well, hope is always in there. But there's, okay. There are themes of overcoming, there are themes of relationship, there are themes of identity, of social justice. But they're all about overcoming. They're all about rising from it's always that, that message, no matter how dark the story might be or how mm-hmm. you know, difficult or dark the, the situation, that there's that light breaking through. I'm always about finding that light, pointing to that light, talking about that light. All right. So how does a poem begin for you? With an idea, a form, or an image? Well, it depends. I mean, ordinarily it, it is an idea, but in the case of like legacy or one last word, it, it started with the form, and, and that, in that case it was the golden shovel form. Um, in the okay. case of uh, Garvey's Choice, it was I started off with Tonka. I knew I wanted to, do it, to try a novel in Tonka and see if I could pull that off. 
and that was the primary thing I began with. And then it was, okay, well, what's the story going to be? But ordinarily, I'm starting with the idea for the story that I want to tell. Because for the most part, I do um, narrative poetry. I do some okay. lyrical, but more often than not, I'm, my focus is narrative. Well, please share a poem. Absolutely. The first uh, poem in this collection is titled His, and I've organized it on the calendar to run from January to January because I, I love that January is both a beginning and an end. And the first piece is His. The Father is unerringly faithful to those who are His, a belonging not secured by shackles of iron that can be broken. No. This belonging is sealed by the blood and life surrendered of a son, his. A fierce bond no sin or foul weather can untether. Beyond blood brothers, blood sisters, kin, our souls commingled for eternity. We are his, beloved children to whom he gives grace, abundant healing, light, the right to call him daddy, to crawl up on his knee or rest against the chest of the divine. Love is the only sense we can make of it. He is yours. He is mine. All because he is faithful, pouring out rivers of favor, enriching speech, knowledge, and spiritual gifts, doling out daily bread, compassion, comfort, and strength as needed, as promised until the end. God has been, is, and will be faithful one, sure provider, fierce protector, holy father, gentle mother, peerless friend. Peel back the layers of his huge heart and find it ever beating for we who are called his. So there you have it. Wow. What was an early experience where you learned that poetic language had power? The first one came when I was six. I was uh, in what would be my last foster home. I'd been in a trail of them. And I'm feeling very lonely, very frustrated, a lot of pain laying on my heart not able to talk to anyone about it because I'm surrounded by strangers. And I get up one night and I grab a pen and a pad and I start stabbing it and I'm just writing words, just gushing to get this feeling out of my heart, out of my head, onto the page. And I get to the end of that and I feel lighter and I feel better and I feel stronger, and nothing has changed, and yet everything has changed. And I realized I had discovered something that night, and that was the beginning. So when you say that you discovered something, can you pinpoint what that was that you discovered? The power of words on paper. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Mm. Specifically poetry, but just... The power of language and putting putting it on, on the page. Mm. 
please share another poem. Absolutely. Daily Planner. I tag each day with purpose. Type in a list of to-dos on the digital calendar of each 24-hour cycle. Oh, I'll leave a moment or two for the unexpected, but only grudgingly. I want to be able to look back on a day of checked boxes, the illusion of control. I find it laughable in a way. Call yourself a Christian and mean it, and Jesus will be all up in your business turning your enemies into friends, telling you who your brother is or is not, calling you to walk on water, please. Read Acts if you think I lie. As much as I protest, the best parts of the day are the surprises, the interruptions that shatter all my best intentions. When they're good, they are very good. But when they're bad, They are even better because they chase me to the altar to cry out to the great high priest who dismantles my plans in order to produce patience, reconfigures my schedule to remind me of the sacred and teaches me that growing pains most often apply to faith. Preach all you want, Jesus says, but until the Holy Spirit breathes into a moment, your words and works are merely hollow. Study to show yourself approved, not glued to the spot you have settled on apart from me. Set aside your carefully constructed programs and preconceived notions of who I am or who I love and simply follow me. There you have it. Oh, wow. You know, it's funny with your work. I don't know what to say afterwards, <laughs> and that's and that's rare for me. But one thing I can say is, let's take a, a, a quick break, and we'll be right back. Okay. All right. Foremost is James Baldwin, who was my first mentor. There are lots of things I love about him, but one thing that sticks out is that he sharpens the blade of language and wields it with precision. And I'm always after that kind of precision. Lucille Clifton, her work is accessible to a variety of ages, is always surprising 
It always packs a punch in a handful of phrases. And it often sneaks up on you, and I love that about her work. And then Catherine Patterson. Catherine's work taught me that you can incorporate your faith in your writing as long as you do so in a way that's organic rather than preachy. An important lesson for me because my Christian faith is central to my life, to who I am. And yet, I've established myself in the secular market, so it was a bridge that I needed to cross. And her work showed me how to do that. You speak so eloquently. What is the relationship between your speaking voice and your written voice? I think they're very close. Um, And that's largely because the most important thing to me about my work is making an emotional connection. And I don't think you can do that unless you were writing from the heart, speaking from who you truly are. Um, So there's very little distance between my speaking voice and my writing voice in terms of that. I want to be thoroughly who I am and transparent on the page in order to make that emotional connection with my reader. You know, they say that to see the world with complete honesty, one should look to comedians, artists, and poets. Mm. What do you think emerges naturally from your work? And you may have already answered that, but just expound just a little bit. What emerges from you? Well, as I talked about, hope being sort of the the my go to because if it wasn't mm-hmm. for hope I wouldn't be here. And so yes. I feel it's important to always be a, a, a critical element of anything that I write. That it's that that idea is, is laced in into the work. Um, I hope people are coming away inspired. That's a word I hear. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and certainly, certainly hope for. Yeah, I want to plant you know, seeds of compassion and empathy. Seeds of compassion and empathy. What exactly is empathy? We hear this word all the time. You know, I traveled the country as a performance poet, and I talked about the importance of empathy. What is it to you? What does that mean to you? Partly it's it's being able to put on someone else's skin uh, and walk in their shoes and, you know, Mm -hmm. feel what they feel and even even for a moment see the world through their eyes. If you can do that in in a really powerful way, even once, it can make a permanent difference in somebody's life and somebody's perspective. I get letters from readers, from young readers, mm-hmm. who say things like, you know, I never thought about this before, or this person I always had issues with, and, you know, now I'm seeing them in a new way, you know, and I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm different now, I'm changed in this, in this particular way because yes. of this character that I walked with and learned something from. Well, I'm always hoping hoping for that. Mm-hmm. Well, please share another poem. Absolutely. 
Uh, this one is titled Indelible. As dark clouds gather, we search for God's will like hidden treasure, hunting for that all-important X that marks the spot. Yet the Ancient of Days is both mystery and open secret. Forgetting that, we whip out our intellectual metal detectors and hit the metaphorical beaches, listening for the beeps that tell us where we should sink our shovels to dig for truth or whatever promise it is we really want. We likewise go to scripture magnifying glass in hand, desperate for some special decoder or that universal translator we've seen on Star Trek that can convert our tears to language El Shaddai can hear. But the one we serve is multilingual and fairly plain spoken, even writing on walls when necessary. Granted, we don't always embrace his point of view. Nevertheless, you must admit the Father has a habit of posting unobstructed signs along the paths he has chosen and painting color-drenched pictures across the clear or clouded sky like those rainbow reminders he set for himself and for us of the permanent covenant between the Lord of heaven and man and creature, a covenant of mercy written in his own indelible blood. That's it. <laughs> oh, written in his own indelible blood. Yeah. You know, in many instances when you think of Christian poetry, if you want to call it that, um, people often have a negative connotation and go, uh-oh, here we go again. How do you handle that? I haven't really run into that because... Okay. I don't call anything that I do Christian. I mean, okay, there's going okay. to be a Christian element because, you know, that's always where I'm coming from. It's always mm-hmm. going to be a part of, of who I am and, and, and what I write. It's it's a critical you know aspect of who I am for sure. But I'm always speaking truth and looking at both the dark and the light. I don't gloss over anything. Um, mm-hmm. In in the interest of making nice, um, in fact, I like to shake things up. Okay. But you know what? Okay. God was what? always shaking things up. He's yes, always he shaking things up. Yes, he was. <laughs> yes, he was. And, <laughs> and I'm constantly shaking things up. So, so, yeah, if you're coming to me for comfort, yeah, no. <laughs> you want me to, you know, you want something to just kind of lull you to sleep? Not going to happen. Or make you feel good or make you feel safe? Wrong place. Wrong person. Well, that brings up a question. I'm a man of questions here. Yes, you are. <laughs> and I thank you for indulging me. Uh, what do you view as be and you and you, again a, a lot of these things that you've already answered them. I just want you to expound just a little bit. You talked about opening things up, not covering things up, but 
being aware enough to say, hey, this is what it is. It is what it is. Like radical acceptance, it is what it is. What do you view as being the role of a poet in modern-day society? The poet, I think, is and has always been a prophet, a prophet mm. in the sense of truth-teller. Um, when everybody else is, is, is lying or, yeah, or spinning, um, the poet is the person who tells the truth, Okay. who gets straight to the heart okay. of the matter and calls mm-hmm. it what it is. And I think that's, that's really our job, whether speaking truth to power or to anyone, just speaking truth. That's our job. If you're not speaking truth, you're wasting your time. I mean, you're wasting mm. words. And you're not, you're not living up to your calling. Because that's, first of all, your calling, to tell the truth. Yes. Yeah. Will you share another poem with me, please? Well, since you asked so nicely. <laughs> <laughs> I know you're probably ready to go. <laughs> You, oh you've talked God. enough. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. Just a okay, few, I'll let you go. <laughs> <laughs> Daily. Let's see what I'm going to do. Daily dependence. <clears throat> the holy book is laced with lessons in prayer, some delicate as spider silk, some rough as a sailor's knot. And then there is Hannah who prays with specific intent for a son, Hannah who prays with full abandon from the deepest recesses of her heart, propriety and restraint forgotten, her river of words unrehearsed. No neat formulaic request flows from this breast, only the agony of a heart about to break from the strain of desires unmet, which begs the question, how do we pray? Perhaps we should spend some time pondering the particulars. For now, we know prayer is a two-way conversation, and from the other side, before Hannah's answer is provided, comes the healing balm of faith, the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, the quiet assurance that prayer has been heard, God's word delivered in silence, his gift of peace and answer in itself, a lesson in prayer worth noting. Love Hannah. You know, Hannah, some poets claim that a poem is like a living creature. Once it's out there, there's not much you can do to correct or improve it. While others edit meticulously, not leaving much from the original draft form. What is your take on it? On on revision or? On revision, yes. Oh, my gosh. I revise forever. (laughs) Do you? (laughs) I'm I'm ridiculous when it comes to revision. But it, it goes back to my desire to be precise to use yes. language in a way that is very precise. And so I'll write the first draft um, sort of in a rush just to get the basic idea down. But then I go, I go back and I wrestle 
word by word to nail down exactly the idea, the emotion, the moment that I'm after capturing. So, yeah, lots of revision. Well, you talk about that, but you say that you write your poems early in the week, the poems that you were sharing in church. You write them early in the week to give, to give, to potentially give to the pastor to read over. Am I correct? Initially, not so oh, much. Initially, in yeah, I don't do that now. But in terms of revision, though, how do you? How do you? It takes me the longest time, Nikki, to write a poem. <laughs> it really does. So how are you able to do that every week? Well, this is a special. I mean, obviously, I'm I'm locked into a, a timeline here. Um, okay. Usually, when I'm writing poetry, I'm not. But this is very specific, um, and it is and it's a different process too. Because, first of all, um, I'm I'm relying on the scripture and what I'm going to get from it. Um, yes. I'm I very much. This is a this is an act of prayer. Just to do the work, I, w- I want to make sure, you know, it's, it's the work is prayed over. I'm asking God to reveal something to me, to speak to me, to give me a nugget that he wants me to share with the congregation. Because every, you know, scripture can be interpreted so many different ways. Yes, it can. Um, and, and so I don't go to it looking for what I can find. I go to it asking the Lord to show me what he wants out of all of that, what nugget, what one idea he wants me to share with the congregation. And once I have that, then I'm sort of off and running. Um, and I rewrite it, you know, I'll spend a couple of hours just noodling the thing to death. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, I have a it's, – it's, it's a very tight time frame. With my other poetry, though, I, I you know, I can sometimes spend – a week just going back and and retooling and re, you know noodling and noodling and noodling to get the poem you know exactly where I want it and yeah drive my editors a little crazy I I you know I'm 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 the author who they're like trying to wrench the book from my hands because they're ready to go to press and I'm still saying yes. wait wait a minute this is one paragraph this is one line. <laughs> It's almost there. It's not quite. <laughs> and they're like, uh, the book is done now, Nikki. Let's go. <laughs> you are very, very prolific. You've written a lot. You've written a lot. Does knowing that your poems are published and out there in the world validate your being a poet, or are you content knowing that they're out of your system? Uh, well, first, getting them out of my system is, is really key. Um, and it kind of depends on the, on the pieces itself. I mean, for the last, um, the last bit since the shutdown, a lot of my poetry was about... I write to process things. Okay. So trying to not process the pandemic, trying to process the Black Lives Matter movement and the you know, the protests and um, the mood of resistance and too many deaths to name. Just one person after another after another. Trying to process all of that and have some place 
for it to go. I'm, uh, I, I just I had to write, I had to write it out. What was a blessing for me, because I was sharing these poems daily um, mm-hmm. on, on social media, is that it was doing for other people the same thing it was doing for me. It was helping people process things that they didn't know how to express, that they were feeling, that they were thinking, that they were wrestling with, but did not know how to express. And I was able to express it for them because I was expressing it for myself. And that was a true gift because... I wasn't thinking about them when I was writing these pieces. It was like, <laughs> this is what I have to do to survive this moment. You know what I'm saying? And, oh, by the way, here, you get to read it. <laughs> and so to find out that it was, you know, helping and healing, you know, someone else, that was like the cherry on top. Mm. Yeah. Do you, do you think you were meant to be a poet? Oh, without a doubt. Tell me more. Yeah. yeah. Tell me more. Well, I was fascinated with language. I mean, before I started writing poetry, I just fell in love with words and the idea that one word could mean many different things and the idea that someone could write something down on the page that was funny and someone 3,000 miles away could read it and laugh. Mm. That was amazing to me. I loved that. And so I would do word jumbles and word puzzles, and I'd make up my own word games. I just loved language and the alchemy of it. And, yeah, so I I came to poetry naturally. I came to poetry out of wordplay. I was playing with words. And then I discovered, oh, that has a name. It's called poetry. Okay. I can do that. That's what I've been doing. (laughs) That's okay. Well, I'm not going to hold you too much longer, but I would like to know what's next for you creatively. Let's see. Well, a couple of picture books, uh, poetry, um, on nature themes. I'm really all about getting more books out um, that center black children engaging with nature. Yes. And so I have a book called um, A Cup of Quiet, which is all about certain quality of quiet of nature, which is not silent, but is peaceful. Um, mm. Because you have the buzzing of bees and hummingbirds and leaves crackling and all those sorts of things. But there's a piece attached to that. And then another book is called A Walk in the Woods, which again is engaging those same sorts of ideas. Um, And then I have a second novel written in Tonka, which um, I'm working on, a companion to Garvey's Choice. Um, And also my first uh, graphic novel adaptation of poetry. So, yeah, trying to mix it up, keep busy. Heaven forbid I should be bored for like a second. (laughs) You know, when you think, the very last question, and I'll let you go. (laughs) Okay. 
when you think about glory in the margins, what did you learn about yourself from writing that book? What did I learn about myself? Uh, I don't. I don't have an answer for that one. Okay. Okay. So, yeah, I'm gonna have did to. Did anything that surprise question. you? Anything surprise you? Mm, no. Mm. But I wonder if other people will be surprised. Okay. Well, I think I that's a like nice that. way to close. That there are surprises for others. Yes. And I know there were surprises for me. I mean, I, I have a favorite poem already in the book. I focus on the month of October and the month of March, my birthday month, so... I have my favorites already, so I was surprised. Okay, now you mentioned March and October. Which one is your birthday month? Uh, March. Okay. So I read every poem in March. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I couldn't pick out March 27th, so I read all of them. (laughs) All right. (laughs) All right. One of my favorites is on page 40. But uh, (laughs) uh, I want to thank you so much for spending time with me. Your book, as I said earlier, is incredible. Glory in the Margins. Where can I find this book online or in a store? Where can I go to find it? Well, um, the usual suspects, uh, you know, Amazon, bookshop.com, bookshop.org. I always like to send people there because they support independent booksellers. And mm-hmm. so definitely um, ask your independent bookseller. For All sure. right. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you. I wish you nothing but continued success. Thank you. And I say goodbye to you. And to our listening audience, as I share every week, let poetry ring, be safe out there, take care of each other, and continue to feel blessed. All right. Take care, everybody. You have just listened to the quintessential listening poetry online radio podcast with your host, Dr. Michael Anthony Ingram. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher. And make sure to catch our next episode.